Thank you guys. We're so grateful for you and very delighted with the music ministry of our church and thankful to God for it. Also thankful that we have a church covenant that we've been looking at uh, in recent weeks together and uh, we'll continue to do so really through the summer. And uh, we're going to look at it uh, together a little bit later, but um, the second line of the covenant says this. Having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I uh, grew up in a uh, Christian evangelical tradition that uh, doesn't place and practice baptism uh, in any way. Um, Neither infant baptism, nor child baptism, nor adult baptism. Um, They um, understand the spiritual reality behind the the act of baptism, but don't see the need for the physical practice of it. And uh, we often joke growing up that we were dry clean Christians. Um, That's still a joke in our family. Uh, But I grew up around a lot of people from uh, other sorts of traditions, faith communities and um, Christian traditions. Uh, Two of my best friends on my street growing up were um, uh, Catholic uh, guys, and um, they uh, would talk about things that they would do occasionally at school. And uh, when they, uh, you know, in the Catholic faith, of course, infants are baptized, and then at a certain uh, point in their life, they will go through what's uh, known as uh, confirmation, and then they enter in and have their first communion. Well, my friend Chuck was having his very first communion. I remember talking to him. I was really interested because it was such a mystery. My my church building growing up didn't even have a baptistry, I and mean, there was no place for it because it wasn't something our, uh, our uh, church uh, practiced in any way. So when Chuck went through this confirmation and he had his first communion, I remember talking to him about it. When he was talking to me, there was a strange smell. And I remember leaning in as he was talking and I was smelling his breath and it was alcohol. <laughs> I was like, whoa, is this what a Catholic church is like? I want to go visit, I think. My, uh, it was just so funny. I remember the first time I ever went and visited a Baptist church was uh, during a, a revival meeting, and I've shared with you before about that, but the first time I'd ever stepped foot in a baptistry, it was an empty baptistry, and, and I uh, sat talking with, uh, with a girl that I was interested in, in dating. And uh, that was my first experience with the physical baptistry, and uh, boy, have I come a long way uh, since all of that. Um, I know that this is a church filled with people from a lot of different uh, Christian traditions, um, things like uh, Presbyterian and Methodist and Catholic places and groups that practice infant baptism and uh, recognizing that. Uh, there are others, I know, who really come from no church life much at all in their past. And baptism for you might be somewhat of a curiosity, kind of like it was for me. Why, why baptism and what does it mean? And uh, why do we even have Baptist as a denominational name? And uh, why are there so many different types of Baptists? We're not going to get into that. That's uh, for another day. But um, some of you who grew up here in California but didn't grow up in the church, you, you've grown up in the Bay Area maybe around water. But when you think about water, you think about visits to the beach or going sailing and <laughs> you may never think about Baptism, But I want to invite us to think a minute today about baptism and why baptism is uh, something given to us and uh, what it means and why it matters. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew chapter 28. And this is the, the very last section of Matthew's Gospel uh, where we find Jesus speaking here. It's after the resurrection. Jesus had 
uh, been executed, he had been buried, he had been risen back from the dead, he'd been having these visits uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks now with his disciples, and this is some of the very last information, the very last teaching and instruction that he is given, giving to his disciples, and he talks about baptism here. And in verse 16 it says that the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. I love that little phrase um, because it, it helps me appreciate the fact that these were not just simpletons in the first century, ready and eager to be so gullible and drawn into anything so that they might fabricate some sort of religion based on something that, from their perspective, hadn't happened. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then uh, they, they weren't easy to, to be drawn into that thought. And some of them doubted, could this really be the Jesus that we saw executed and really saw buried and then was raised back to life again? And so I love the fact that some struggled with that because they were human just like you and I are and they weren't easily drawn into some sort of fabricated story. But because it's true and the resurrection of Jesus is true and because these are words spoken to them and to us the moment before Jesus ascended back to be at the right hand of the Father, let's hear what he, some of the very last words that He would speak to them. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we're not going to have time today to unpack this whole passage, but one item of note is that the, the one infinitive verb, the one thing that uh, we are, are told to, to really do emphatically is to go and make disciples. Uh, that, that's the imperative, I mean, the, to go and make disciples. And, and how we do that is to be people that embody the message. We go and communicate the message. And part of drawing people into the life of God and into the faith of Jesus and into a life in community like this is through the act of baptism. And so baptism matters. Baptism becomes an ongoing practice of the church when we open the book of Acts, which is the, the history of the early church emerging and sorting out now that Jesus is not physically with us anymore. How do we function together as a church? That was part of the question that, that Acts is helping to answer. And part of their practice as people would come to faith was to enter into baptism and draw them into baptism. And so um, it's, it's good and a good practice for us. But I've got two points for you today, and that's all. Are you ready? Why baptism? And what does baptism mean? And there are a lot of things that we could say, but this is what we're going to say today. Number one is that baptism, at least from a Baptist perspective, baptism is for believers. Some uh, Christian traditions, they link New Testament baptism with Old Testament circumcision. An Old Testament circumcision was done as a way of welcoming a new child into the, into the physical family, but even more so into the faith community and into the promises of God. And so a Jewish family, as a child would, would be, be growing up, they would come to a point of recognition, and it, we know it uh, even today as a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, 
Bar mitzvah literally means a son of the law. And so at, at uh, the right age, a, a Jewish boy, let's say, would come and he would say, I'm also now claiming this Jewish faith for myself. And so I become a son of the law. In other words, the responsibilities to live under the law of God now I'm stepping into and this faith is for me. And so some have taken the New Testament idea of baptism, some traditions, and linked it with the Old Testament idea of circumcision to say, with infant baptism, a child is drawn into the promises of God, and and at a particular point in the future, when they're at an age of accountability and reasoning, then they they will have the option at that point to uh, make their own profession of faith and to be confirmed into the faith. But When I read the Scripture, I I don't see infant baptism uh, being practiced or even the two being linked together. In fact, when you see circumcision and baptism discussed, they're not compared, they're contrasted. And when early Jewish people became followers of Jesus, those who were already circumcised religiously were also asked to come into a baptismal practice to enter into the Christian faith. And so the two ceremonies are different. And um, I remember as a child and, and thinking about other uh, traditions and wondering about baptismal waters because they're such a mystery to me. I wondered, is there some sort of magic imbued in them that uh, if you just touch the water, somehow it does something to you? And from a Baptist perspective, we would say no. It, it, baptism has really no meaning outside of the person's personal belief. And so, as a Baptist tradition and perspective, we, we enter into baptism after personal acceptance and believing. You know, one of the practices in the early church, when they would go into baptism, is that uh, they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said. And uh, they would often go, they would have a pool that um, was just big enough for submersion. And usually the pool would be designed so that the water was moving. It wasn't just sitting stagnant. Water, because it was a picture of being and now entering into the life and vitality of God. So you needed living water to represent your new living faith in Jesus. And part of what they would do is that they were actually baptized three times, or they would be plunged three times. And each time they would come up and they would say this word, they would say, Credo! And they'd be go under again and they'd come up, Credo! And a third time, Credo! And that's the Latin form for I believe. I believe. I believe in this faith and in this Jesus and in this gospel. And it was so significant for them because they had been prepared for baptism. And they had been shaped and there was an understanding of what this faith uh, of baptism, uh, what this faith that baptism was representing. It is for those professing belief in the Jesus uh, that we recognize and in His gospel message. That's one of the reasons that we, for the last several years, have tried to approach baptism much like we might uh, a a wedding ceremony where uh, when people get married, we uh, welcome them into a time of preparation. We don't answer every question there is about marriage, right? But we're trying to help lay a foundation for married living that will carry beyond the wedding day. Isn't that a good idea? To be thinking not just about the wedding day, but to think about married life beyond the wedding day. And so part of what we've been trying to do over the last several years is is to celebrate and to highlight baptism, but not just to focus on the baptism day, but to prepare people for what now the life that they're to lead and to live after the baptism moment. 
And so it's just great preparation. And, and it's been so fun to walk with several people through that process and preparing because uh, of understanding now what, what this faith and, and who this Jesus is and, and what it means to be walking with Him. So baptism, at least in this church, is for, for believers, those who are making their personal profession, and it becomes a very public Profession. It's not something we do in secret because it's part of being committed to God, but it's also being committed to community. And that's our second point, is that baptism is about commitment. So baptism is for believers, but baptism is about commitment. And that's what we've titled this whole series, looking at our church covenant. Why would a church have a covenant that would try to give some voice to the things that we are professing to believe in. And it's because it's about commitment. And and how am I committed to God and committed to other people? You know, sacramentum was a Latin word used when a soldier would come and pledge his allegiance to fight in the army of of Caesar. And uh, that was a word that they would use. And and in a similar way, when a Christian comes into baptism, it is an oath of allegiance to the Jesus who now is the Lord and leader of your life. And so it's something we don't enter into lightly. um, And it's such a, a joy for us to do. It's a commitment to God in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So baptism is about commitment. Commitment to God. And demonstrating an acceptance of what Jesus has done. In fact, when we do baptism here, we we'll do it in this pool. Many of you have seen it, and uh, the way we do it is, uh, you know, there's a reason for it. And uh, we lay people backwards, and it's uh, intended to be a picture of the grave. And we take that out of Romans chapter six, that we have been buried with Christ in baptism, the same way Jesus laid His life down. So we too now are people who are laying down our lives for a higher purpose. We're laying down our lives for a better relationship with God. And so we are dying to ourselves and we are saying, I am now submitting my entire life into the capable hands of Jesus. So we're buried with Christ in baptism and then we're raised to walk in the newness of life. In fact, that, that's a phrase I w- I'll speak over people uh, when I raise them up out of the water. We are raised to walk in the newness of life. Because it's a commitment to God, baptism is, and baptism is a commitment of an initiation into uh, our walk and life together, and it's a, a commitment into uh, our life uh, to come and the way that we live our lives and our ethics. John the Baptist, you might remember, when he was baptized people and they would come up out of the water and he would say, produce fruit now that demonstrates your repentance. Produce fruit that keeps in line with this profession that you're making. It's not something that we, we are to take lightly. You see, um, it in part becomes a commitment. How it becomes a commitment to each other is in this way. Ben, you've been baptized right here in this place. All right. So, because you're uh, now a member of the church, uh, let's do our secret handshake. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Did I forget or do we actually have one? We don't actually have one. All right, Terry, let's do our secret password, okay? I'm going to do the rhythm. You do it. So, wait, wait, wait. So if there's no secret handshake and there's no particular password that identifies us as being together in a community, what might identify us together? Part of it is baptism. 
is that we enter into baptism because it's an expression that we understand and have received the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus. And, and we too have died to ourselves and we are allowing Jesus now to live rightly through us. It's a shared signal together in our baptized lives that Jesus is empowering us so that we can walk now in the newness of life. So baptism, it's about commitment, being committed to God, being committed to each other, saying this is my community of faith. It's about being committed to the life now that, that Jesus wants to empower me to live and I look to Him to, to live in, that I, I take the Scripture and I take my life and I put my life under the Scripture and I say I want the Scripture now to be authoritative in every facet of my life and I don't just live life now the way that I want to because the Bible says you are not your own. I am not my own. We have been bought at a price. And that's the price of the life of Jesus. So we love to prepare people for baptism. And it's rooted in history. And we are so thankful to be able to do that. So the question as we wrap up and prepare ourselves for the other great uh, uh, ordinance of the church, the Lord's Supper, is how does your current life reflect your baptism commitment? When you took on your baptism... I hope it was really meaningful. And I hope there had been some preparation for you. I didn't have a lot of preparation before I was baptized. And so I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to try and help do that at this point of my life and the ministry God has called me to. But are you growing to be more and more similar in thought and in action and in speech as our Lord Jesus? Is that how you would evaluate your life this morning, as one who is living up to the commitment that you've made? What would your spouse say or your children? I, I still I, I love so often um, when I read once that, that certain Mennonites, when you ask them, are you a believer in Jesus? They'd say, don't ask me. I remember I first read that. I thought, that's crazy. What do you mean don't ask you? They would say, go and ask my husband or go and ask my wife. Go and ask my children. Go and ask my employees at my work or my boss. Go and ask the neighbor down the street. What, what do they say about my life? Because if there's no fruit that people can see out of my life, then, then what am I doing? And what am I allowing God to do in me? So the question for us today, at least a question for me, is what? And how am I growing to be more like Jesus in my thought life and in my patterns of speech? Am I looking to build others up and, and in my actions? And can the people who know me best, can they see Jesus being formed in me? Would you reach out and grab the hymnal there in front of you? Let me invite the deacons who are helping with the Lord's Supper. Would you also come forward? If you'd open up your hymnal just to the inside flap, we're going to read this together. Are you ready? This is our church covenant. And I think you can see that as we read through this, that can, most elements can be divided into one of two categories, either being committed to God or a reflection of our commitment to each other. So let's read it together. 
having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now, in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another that we will walk together in Christian love, show loving care for one another, and encourage, counsel, and admonish one another, assemble faithfully for worship, and pray earnestly for others as well as for ourselves, endeavor to bring up those under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, share one another's joys, and bear one another's burdens and sorrows, give evidence of the reality of our conversion and baptism by living godly and holy lives. Stop. Let's read that last line again, shall we? Give evidence of the reality of our conversion and baptism by living godly and holy lives. Maintain a faithful ministry of worship, evangelism, Bible study, education, and service. Seek by Christian example and witness to win others to Christ and encourage their growth toward Christian maturity. Be faithful stewards of our resources and abilities in sharing the gospel with people of all nations and seek earnestly to live to the glory of Him who has brought us out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. That is our covenant. And we'll continue to look at different aspects in the weeks to come. Today we focused on baptism, one of the great uh, entry point reminders of our faith. And it's uh, a one-time deal. It's uh, the point of beginning It's the point that marks now a new life to come and to be lived and to be worked out in our salvation with Jesus as our centerpiece. The Lord's Supper is a little different because it's an ongoing practice. It's something that we do regularly. And we try to do it about once a month here so it doesn't become overly common, but we don't also forget to do it (laughs) and forget to appreciate the meaning of it and to be reminded of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and the offer of the forgiveness of sin. So on that first last supper, Jesus took bread, and He broke it. And He blessed it, and He shared it with the disciples there. And He says, you should take and eat, because this is My body, which is broken for you, and we should do it in remembrance of Him. Father, we thank You for this moment today and uh, this opportunity together to remember our union as brothers and sisters in this place and our love for You. Help us to be mindful of our commitment to You and our commitment to each other as we take this, Your great gift to us and reminder this day. Bless this as You nourish us. You have told us that we will not live merely on bread alone but on every word that flows from your very mouth. So you, as our great vine, won't you nourish us, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
This is the body of Jesus broken for you. On that same evening, Jesus took a cup and it was filled. And it was shared around the table. And it was blessed and partaken. And Jesus reminded us that when we do this, it's an invitation into this new covenant, this new commitment that He makes possible through His blood. It's a new identification as Him as our leader and us as His son or daughter. Father, we thank You again for this day and for this cup and what it reminds us of and that uh, without the shedding of blood, You tell us that there is no forgiveness of sin. And who would pay such a price? Hardly would a good man be willing to die for others. And yet You, even for us sinners, You have gone to the cross for us. Not because of what You have done, but because of what we have done. Not because of any lack in your life, but because of deep lack in our own lives. And so you offer this gift of forgiveness and new life. You've committed yourself to us and you invite us to learn to commit ourselves back to you and your service. So help us be reminded of that this day. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this great gift.